This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.blogsome.com. Today's reading is by Ian Bartholomew. The Peloponnesian War by Thucydides, translated by Richard Crawley. Book 8, Chapter 24. Nineteen and twentieth years of the war, revolt of Ionia, intervention of Persia, the war in Ionia. When the news was brought to Athens, for a long while they disbelieved even the most respectable of the soldiers, who had themselves escaped from the scene of action and clearly reported the matter, a destruction so complete not being thought credible. When the conviction was forced upon them, they were angry with the orators who had joined in promoting the expedition, just as if they had not themselves voted it, and were enraged also with the reciters of oracles and soothsayers, and all other omen-mongers of the time, who had encouraged them to hope that they should conquer Sicily. Already distressed at all points and in all quarters, after what had now happened, they were seized by a fear and consternation quite without example. It was grievous enough for a state, and for every man in his proper person, to lose so many heavy infantry, cavalry, and able-bodied troops, and to see none left to replace them. But when they saw, also, that they had not sufficient ships in their docks, or money in the treasury, or crews for the ships, they began to despair of salvation. They thought that their enemies in Sicily would immediately sail with their fleet against Piraeus, inflamed by so signal a victory, while their adversaries at home, redoubling all their preparations, would vigorously attack them by sea and land at once aided by their own revolted confederates. Nevertheless, with such means as they had, it was determined to resist to the last, and to provide timber and money, and to equip a fleet as best they could, to take steps to secure their confederates, and above all Euboea, to reform things in the city upon a more economical footing, and to elect a board of elders to advise upon the state of affairs as occasion should arise. In short, as is the way of a democracy, in the panic of the moment, they were ready to be as prudent as possible. These resolves were at once carried into effect. Summer was now over. The winter ensuing saw all Hellas stirring under the impression of the great Athenian disaster in Sicily. Neutrals now felt that, even if uninvited, they ought no longer to stand aloof from the war, but should volunteer to march against the Athenians, who, as they severally reflected, would probably have come against them if the Sicilian campaign had succeeded. Besides, they considered that the war would now be short, and that it would be creditable for them to take part in it. Meanwhile, the allies of the Lacedaemonians felt more anxious than ever to see a speedy end to their heavy labours. But above all, the subjects of the Athenians showed a readiness to revolt even beyond their ability, judging the circumstances with passion and refusing even to hear of the Athenians being able to last out the coming summer. Beyond all this, Lacedaemon was encouraged by the near prospect of being joined in great force in the spring by her allies in Sicily, lately forced by events to acquire their navy. With these reasons for confidence in every quarter, the Lacedaemonians now resolved to throw themselves without reserve into the war. Considering that once it was happily terminated, they would be finally delivered from such dangers as that which would have threatened them from Athens if she had become mistress of Sicily, and that the overthrow of the Athenians would leave them in quiet enjoyment of the supremacy over all Hellas. Their king Agis, accordingly, 
set out at once during this winter with some troops from Declea, and levied from the allies contributions for the fleet, and turning towards the Malian Gulf, exacted a sum of money from the Ateans by carrying off most of their cattle in reprisal for their old hostility, and, in spite of the protests and opposition of the Thessalians, forced the Achaeans of Theotis and the other subjects of the Thessalians in those parts to give him money and hostages, and deposited the hostages at Corinth, and tried to bring their countrymen into the confederacy. Then the Lacedaemonians now issued a requisition to the cities for building a hundred ships, fixing their own quota and that of the Boeotians at twenty-five each, that of the Phocians and Locrians together at fifteen, that of the Corinthians at fifteen, that of the Arcadians, Pellenians, and Sicyonians together at ten, and that of the Megrians, Troisenians, Epidaurians, and Hermionians together at ten also, and meanwhile made every other preparation for commencing hostilities by the spring. In the meantime, the Athenians were not idle. During this same winter, as they had determined, they contributed timber and pushed on their shipbuilding, and fortified Sunium to enable their corn ships to round it in safety, and evacuated the fort in Laconia, which they had built on their way to Sicily, while they also, for economy, cut down any other expenses that seemed unnecessary, and above all kept a careful lookout against the revolt of their confederates. While both parties were thus engaged, and were as intent upon preparing for the war as they had been at the outset, the Euboreans, first of all, sent envoys during this winter to Aegis to treat of their revolting from Athens. Aegis accepted their proposals, and sent for Alchemenes, son of Thenalidas, and Melanthus from Lacedaemon, to take the command in Euboea. These accordingly arrived with some three hundred Neodamides, and Aegis began to arrange for their crossing over. But in the meanwhile arrived some Lesbians, who also wished to revolt, and these being supported by the Boeotians, Aegis was persuaded to defer acting in the matter of Euboea, and made arrangements for the revolt of the Lesbians, giving them Alchemenes, who was to have sailed to Euboea as governor and himself promising them ten ships, and the Boeotians the same number. All this was done without instructions from home, as Aegis at Declea, with the army that he commanded, had power to send troops to whatever quarter he pleased, and to levy men and money. During this period, one might say, the allies obeyed him much more than they did the Lacedaemonians in the city, as the force he had with him made him feared at once wherever he went. While Aegis was engaged with the Lesbians, the Chians and Eritreans, who were also ready to revolt, applied, not to him, but at Lacedaemon, where they arrived accompanied by an ambassador from Thysophernes, the commander of King Darius, son of Artaxerxes, in the maritime districts, who invited the Peloponnesians to come over, and promised to maintain their army. The king had lately called upon him for the tribute from his government, for which he was in arrears being unable to raise it from his Hellenic towns by reason of the Athenians, and he therefore calculated that by weakening the Athenians he should get the tribute better paid, and should also draw the Lacedaemonians into alliance with the king, and by this means, as the king had commanded him, take alive or dead Amorges, the bastard son of Pethusnes, who was in rebellion on the coast of Caria. While the Chians and Thesiphonus thus joined to effect the same object, 
About the same time, Calagaitis, son of Laophon, a Megarian, and Timagoras, son of Anathagoras, a Cyzacene, both of them exiled from their country and living at the court of Phanabazas, son of Phanases, arrived at Lacedaemon upon a mission from Phanabazas to procure a fleet for the Hellespont, by means of which, if possible, he might himself effect the object of Thysophernes' ambition, and cause the cities in his government to revolt from the Athenians, and so get the tribute, and by his own agency obtain for the king the alliance of the Lacedaemonians. The emissaries of Phanabazas and Thysophernes treating apart, a keen competition now ensued at Lacedaemon as to whether a fleet and army should be sent first to Ionia and Chios, or to the Hellespont. The Lacedaemonians, however, decidedly favoured the Chians and Thysophernes, who were seconded by Alcibiades, the family friend of Endius, one of the ephors for that year. Indeed, this is how their house got its laconic name, Alcibiades being the family name of Endius. Nevertheless, the Lacedaemonians first sent to Chios Pyrenus, one of the Perioikoi, to see whether they had as many ships as they said, and whether their city generally was as great as was reported. And upon his bringing word that they had been told the truth, immediately entered into alliance with the Chians and Eritreans, and voted to send them forty ships, there being already, according to the statement of the Chians, not less than sixty in the island. At first, the Lacedaemonians meant to send ten of these forty themselves, with Melancridas their admiral. But afterwards, an earthquake having occurred, they sent Chalcideus instead of Melancridas, and instead of the ten ships, equipped only five in Laconia. And the winter ended, and with it ended also the nineteenth year of this war, of which Thucydides is the historian. At the beginning of the next summer, the Chians were urging that the fleet should be sent off, being afraid that the Athenians, from whom all these embassies were being kept secret, might find out what was going on, and the Lacedaemonians at once sent three Spartans to Corinth, to haul the ships as quickly as possible across the isthmus from the other sea, to that on the side of Athens, and to order them all to sail to Chios, those which Aegis was equipping for Lesbos not excepted. The number of the ships from the allied states were thirty-nine in all. Meanwhile, Calagaitis and Timagoras did not join on behalf of Pharnabazus the expedition to Chios, or give the money, twenty-five talents, which they had brought with them to help in dispatching a force, but determined to sail afterwards with another force by themselves. Aegis, on the other hand, seeing the Lacedaemonians bent upon going to Chios first, himself came to their views, and the allies assembled at Corinth and held a council in which they decided to sail first to Chios, under the command of Chalcideus, who was equipping five vessels in Laconia, then to Lesbos, under the command of Alchemenes, the same whom Aegis had fixed upon, and lastly to go to the Hellespont, where the command was given to Clearchus, son of Ramphius. Meanwhile, they would take only half the ships across the isthmus first, and let those sail off at once in order that the Athenians might attend less to the departing squadron than to those to be taken across afterwards, as no care had been taken to keep the voyage secret through contempt of the impotence of the Athenians, who had, as yet, no fleet of any account upon the sea. Agreeably to this determination, 
Twenty-one vessels were at once conveyed across the isthmus. They were now impatient to set sail, but the Corinthians were not willing to accompany them until they had celebrated the Isthmian festival, which fell at that time. Upon this, Agis proposed to them to save their scruples about breaking the Isthmian truce by taking the expedition upon himself. The Corinthians not consenting to this, a delay ensued, during which the Athenians conceived suspicions of what was preparing at Chios, and sent Aristocrates, one of their generals, and charged them with the fact, and upon the denial of the Chians, ordered them to send with them a contingent of ships as faithful confederates. Seven were sent accordingly. The reason of the dispatch of the ships lay in the fact that the mass of the Chians were not privy to the negotiations, while the few who were in the secret did not wish to break with the multitude until they had something positive to lean upon, and no longer expected the Peloponnesians to arrive by reason of their delay. In the meantime, the Isthmian games took place, and the Athenians, who had been also invited, went to attend them and now, seeing more clearly into the designs of the Chians, as soon as they returned to Athens, took measures to prevent the fleet putting out from Centria without their knowledge. After the festival, the Peloponnesians set sail with twenty-one ships for Chios, under the command of Alchemenes. The Athenians first sailed against them with an equal number, drawing off towards the open sea. The enemy, however, turning back before he had followed them far, the Athenians returned also, not trusting the seven Chian ships which formed part of their number, and afterwards manned thirty-seven vessels in all, and chased him on his passage along shore into Spiraeum, a desert Corinthian port on the edge of the Epidorian frontier. After losing one ship out at sea, the Peloponnesians got the rest together and brought them to anchor. The Athenians now attacked, not only from the sea with their fleet, but also disembarked upon the coast and a melee ensued of the most confused and violent kind, in which the Athenians disabled most of the enemy vessels, and killed Alchemenes, their commander, losing also a few men of their own. After this they separated, and the Athenians, detaching a sufficient number of ships to blockade those of the enemy, anchored with the rest at the islet opposite, upon which they proceeded to encamp, and sent to Athens for reinforcements, the Peloponnesians having been joined on the day after the battle by the Corinthians, who came to help the ships, and by the other inhabitants in the vicinity not long afterwards. They saw the difficulty of keeping guard in a desert place, and in their perplexity, at first thought of burning the ships, but finally resolved to hold them up on shore, and sit down and guard them with their land forces, until a convenient opportunity for escaping should present itself. Aegis also, on being informed of the disaster, sent them a Spartan of the name of Thermon, the Lacedaemonians first received the news of the fleet having put out from the Isthmus, Alchemenes having been ordered by the Ephors to send off a horseman when this took place, immediately resolved to dispatch their own five vessels under Chalcideus and Alcibiades with him. But while they were full of this resolution came the second news, of the fleet having taken refuge at Spiraeum, and disheartened at their first step in the Ionian war proving a failure, they laid aside the idea of sending the ships from their own country, and even wished to recall some that had already sailed. Perceiving this, Alcibiades again persuaded Endius and the other ephors to persevere in the expedition, saying that the voyage would be made before the Chians heard of the fleet's misfortune, and that, 
as soon as he set foot in Ionia, he should, by assuring them of the weakness of the Athenians and the zeal of Lacedaemon, have no difficulty in persuading the cities to revolt, as they would readily believe his testimony. He also represented to Endius himself, in private, that it would be glorious for him to be the means of making Ionia revolt, and the king become an ally of Lacedaemon, instead of that honour being left to Aegis. Aegis, it must be remembered, was the enemy of Alcibiades, and Endius and his colleagues thus persuaded, he put to sea with five ships and the Lacedaemonian Chalcideus, and made all haste upon the voyage. About this time, the sixteen Peloponnesian ships from Sicily, which had served through the war with Gylippus, were caught on the return of Leucadia, and roughly handled by the twenty-seven Athenian vessels under Hippocles, son of Menippus, on the lookout for ships from Sicily. After losing one of their number, the rest escaped from the Athenians and sailed into Corinth. Meanwhile, Chalcideus and Alcibiades seized all they met with on their voyage, to prevent news of their coming, and let them go at Coricus, the first point which they touched at in the continent. Here they were visited by some of their Chian correspondents, and, being urged by them to sail up to the town without announcing their coming, arrived suddenly before Chios. The many were amazed and confounded, while the few had so arranged that the council should be sitting at the time, and after speeches from Chalcideus and Alcibiades stating that many more ships were sailing up, but saying nothing of the fleet being blockaded at Spiraeum. The Chians revolted from the Athenians, and the Eritreans immediately afterwards. After this, three vessels sailed over to Clazomenae, and made that city revolt also, and the Clazomenians immediately crossed over to the mainland and began to fortify Polichna, in order to retreat there, in case of necessity, from the island where they dwelt. While the revolted places were all engaged in fortifying and preparing for war, news of Chios speedily reached Athens. The Athenians thought the danger by which they were now menaced great and unmistakable, and that the rest of their allies would not consent to keep quiet after the secession of the greatest of their number. In the consternation of the moment, they at once took off the penalty attaching to whoever proposed or put to the vote a proposal for using the thousand talents which they had jealously avoided touching throughout the whole war, and voted to employ them to man a large number of ships, and to send off at once under Strombichides, son of Diotimus, the eight vessels forming part of the blockading fleet at Spiraeum, which had left the blockade and had returned after pursuing and failing to overtake the vessels of Chalcideus. These were to be followed shortly afterwards by twelve more under Thrasycles, also taken from the blockade. They also recalled the seven Chian vessels, forming part of their squadron blockading the fleet at Spiraeum, and giving the slaves on board their liberty, put the freemen into confinement, and speedily manned and sent out ten fresh ships to blockade the Peloponnesians, in the place of those that had departed, and decided to man thirty more. Zeal was not wanting, and no effort was spared to send relief to Chios. In the meantime, Strombichides, with his eight ships, arrived at Samos, and, taking one Samian vessel, sailed to Teos and required them to remain quiet. Chalcideus also set sail with twenty-three ships for Teos, from Chios, the land forces of the Clazomenians and Eritreans moving along shore to support him. Informed of this in time, Strombichides, 
put out from Teos before their arrival, and while out at sea, seeing the number of the ships from Chios, fled towards Samos, chased by the enemy. The Tans at first would not receive the land forces, but upon the flight of the Athenians took them into the town. There they waited for some time for Chalcideus to return from the pursuit, and as time went on without his appearing, began themselves to demolish the wall which the Athenians had built on the land side of the city of the Tans, being assisted by a few of the barbarians who had come up under the command of Stages, the lieutenant of Thysophernes. Meanwhile, Chalcideus and Alcibiades, after chasing Strombichides into Samos, armed the crews of the ships from the Peloponnese and left them at Chios, and filling their places with substitutes from Chios and manning twenty others, sailed off to effect the revolt of Miletus. The wish of Alcibiades, who had friends among the leading men of the Milesians, was to bring over the town before the arrival of the ships from Peloponnese, and thus, by causing the revolt of as many cities as possible, with the help of the Chian power and of Chalcideus, to secure the honour for the Chians and himself and Chalcideus, and, as he had promised, for Endius, who had sent them out. Not discovered until their voyage was nearly completed, they arrived a little before Strombichides and Thrasicles, who had just come with twelve ships from Athens, and had joined Strombichides in pursuing them, and occasioned the revolt of Miletus. The Athenians, sailing up close on their heels with nineteen ships, found Miletus closed against them, and took up their station at the adjacent island of Lade. The first alliance between the king and the Lacedaemonians was now concluded immediately upon the revolt of the Milesians, by Thysophernes and Chalcideus, and was as follows. The Lacedaemonians and their allies made a treaty with the king and Thysophernes upon the terms following. 1. Whatever country or cities the king has, or the king's ancestors had, shall be the king's, and whatever came into the Athenians from these cities, either money or any other thing, the king and the Lacedaemonians and their allies shall jointly hinder the Athenians from receiving, either money or any other thing. 2. The war with the Athenians shall be carried on jointly by the king and by the Lacedaemonians and their allies, and it shall not be lawful to make peace with the Athenians except both agree, the king on his side, and the Lacedaemonians and their allies on theirs. 3. If any revolt from the king, they shall be the enemies of the Lacedaemonians and their allies. And if any revolt from the Lacedaemonians and their allies, they shall be the enemies of the king in like manner. This was the alliance. After this, the Chians immediately manned ten more vessels and sailed for Anaea, in order to gain intelligence of those in Miletus, and also to make the city's revolt. A message, however, reaching them from Chalcideus to tell them to go back again, and that Amorches was at hand with an army by land, they sailed to the temple of Zeus, and there, sighting ten more ships sailing up, with which Diomedon, which had started from Athens after Thrasicles, fled. One ship to Ephesus, the rest to Teos. The Athenians took four of their ships empty, the men finding time to escape ashore. The rest took refuge in the city of the Teans, after which the Athenians sailed off to Samos. While the Chians put to sea with their remaining vessels, accompanied by the land forces, and caused Lesbados to revolt, and after it Irea. After this, they both returned home, the fleet and the army. About the same time, 
the twenty ships of the Peloponnesians and Spiraeum, which we left chased to land and blockaded by an equal number of Athenians, suddenly sallied out and defeated the blockading squadron, took four of their ships, and sailed back to Chentrea, prepared again for the voyage to Chios and Ionia. Here they were joined by Astyochus as High Admiral from Lacedaemon, henceforth invested with the supreme command at sea. The land forces, now withdrawing from Teos, Thysophernes repaired thither in person with an army, and completed the demolition of anything that was left of the wall, and so departed. Not long after his departure, Diomedon arrived with ten Athenian ships, and, having made a convention by which the Teans admitted him as they had the enemy, coasted along to Irea, and failing an attempt upon the town, sailed back again. About this time took place the rising of the commons at Samos against the upper classes, in concert with some Athenians, who were there in three vessels. The Samian commons put to death some two hundred in all of the upper classes, and banished four hundred more, and themselves took their land and houses, after which the Athenians decreed their independence, being now sure of their fidelity, and the commons henceforth governed the city, excluding the landholders from all share in affairs and forbidding any of the commons to give his daughter in marriage to them, or to take a wife from them in future. After this, during the same summer, the Chians, whose zeal continued as active as ever, and who even without the Peloponnesians, found themselves in sufficient force to effect the revolt of the cities, and also wished to have as many companions in peril as possible, made an expedition with thirteen ships of their own to Lesbos, the instructions from Lacedaemon, being to go to that island next, and from thence to the Hellespont. Meanwhile, the land forces of the Peloponnesians, who were with the Chians and of the allies on the spot, moved along shore for Clasomenae and Cuma, under the command of Eulus, a Spartan, while the fleet under Dineidas, one of the Perioikoi, first sailed up to Methymna and caused it to revolt, and leaving four ships there, with the rest procured the revolt of Mytilene. In the meantime, Astyochus, the Lacedaemonian admiral, set sail from Chentreae with four ships, as he had intended, and arrived at Chios. On the third day after his arrival, the Athenian ships, twenty-five in number, sailed to Lesbos under Diomedon and Leon, who had lately arrived with reinforcements of ten ships from Athens. Late in the same day, Astyochus put to sea, taking one Chian vessel with him sailed to Lesbos to render what assistance he could, arrived at Pyrrha, and from thence, the next day, to Eresus. He there learned that Mytilene had been taken, almost without a blow, by the Athenians, who had sailed up and unexpectedly put into the harbour, had beaten the Chian ships, and landing and defeating the troops opposed to them, had become masters of the city. Informed of this by the Eresians and the Chian ships, which had been left with Eubulus at Mithymna, and had fled upon the capture of Mytilene, and three of which he now fell in with, one having been taken by the Athenians. Astyochus did not go on to Mytilene, but raised and armed Eresus, and sending the heavy infantry from his own ships by land under Etionicus to Antissa and Mithemne, himself proceeded along shore thither with the ships which he had with him, and with the three Chians, in the hope 
that the Methymnians, upon seeing them, would be encouraged to persevere in their revolt. As, however, everything went against him in Lesbos, he took up his own force and sailed back to Chios, the land forces on board, which were to have gone to the Hellespont, being so conveyed back to their different cities. After this, six of the allied Peloponnesian ships at Chentriae joined the force at Chios. The Athenians, after restoring matters to their old state in Lesbos, set sail from thence and took Polichna, the place that the Clazomenians were fortifying on the continent, and carried the inhabitants back to their own town upon the island, except the authors of the revolt, who withdrew to Daphnus. And thus Clazomenae became once more Athenian. The same summer, the Athenians in the twenty ships at Lade, blockading Miletus, made a descent on Panormus in the Milesian territory, and killed Chalcideus, the Lacedaemonian commander, who had come with a few men against them, and the third day after sailed over and set up a trophy, which, as they were not masters of the country, was however pulled down by the Milesians. Meanwhile, Leon and Diomedon, with the Athenian fleet from Lesbos, issuing from the Enusai, the isles of Chios, and from their forts in Sedusa, and Teleum in the Eritreid, and from Lesbos, carried on the war against the Chians from the ships, having on board heavy infantry from the rolls pressed to serve as marines. Landing in Cardmile and in Belisus, they defeated with heavy loss the Chians that took the field against them, and, laying desolate the places in that neighbourhood, defeated the Chians again in another battle at Penai, and in a third at Leuconium. After this, the Chians ceased to meet them in the field, while the Athenians devastated the country, which was beautifully stocked, had remained uninjured ever since the Median Wars. Indeed, after the Lacedaemonians, the Chians are the only people that I have known, who knew how to be wise in prosperity, and who ordered their city the more securely the greater it grew. Nor was this revolt, in which they might seem to have erred on the side of rashness, ventured upon until they had numerous and gallant allies to share the danger with them, and until they perceived the Athenians, after the Sicilian disaster, themselves no longer denying the thoroughly desperate state of their affairs. And if they were thrown out by one of the surprises which upset human calculations, they found out their mistake in company with many others, who believed, like them, in the speedy collapse of the Athenian power. While they were thus blockaded from the sea and plundered by land, some of the citizens undertook to bring the city over to the Athenians. Appraised of this, the authorities took no action themselves, but brought Astyochus, the admiral, from Eritrea, with four ships that he had with him, and considered how they could most quietly, either by taking hostages, or by some other means, put an end to the conspiracy. While the Chians were thus engaged, a thousand Athenian heavy infantry and fifteen hundred Argives, five hundred of whom were light troops furnished with armour by the Athenians, and one thousand of the allies, towards the close of the same summer, sailed from Athens in forty-eight ships, some of which were transports, under the command of Prynicus, Onomocles, and Cyronides, and putting into Samos, crossed over and encamped at Miletus. Upon this, the Milesians came out to the number of eight hundred heavy infantry, with the Peloponnesians who had come with Chalcideus, and some foreign mercenaries of Thesiphernes, Thesiphernes himself and his cavalry, 
and engaged the Athenians and their allies. While the Argives rushed forward on their own wing with the careless disdain of men advancing against Ionians who would never stand their charge, and were defeated by the Milesians with a loss of little short of three hundred men, the Athenians first defeated the Peloponnesians, and driving before them the barbarians and the ruck of the army, without engaging the Milesians, who after the rout of the Argives, retreated into the town upon seeing their comrades worsted, crowned their victory by grounding their arms under the very walls of Miletus. Thus, in this battle, the Ionians on both sides overcame the Dorians, the Athenians defeating the Peloponnesians opposed to them, and the Milesians the Argives. After setting up a trophy, the Athenians prepared to draw a wall around the place, which stood upon the isthmus, thinking that, if they could gain Miletus, the other towns also would easily come over to them. Meanwhile, about dusk, tidings reached them that the fifty-five ships from Peloponnese and Sicily might be instantly expected. Of these, the Siceliots, urged principally by the Syracusian Hermocrates to join in giving the finishing blow to the power of Athens, furnished twenty-two, twenty from Syracuse and two from Silenus and the ships that we left preparing in Peloponnese being now ready, both squadrons had been entrusted to Theremenes, a Lacedaemonian, to take to Astyochus, the admiral. They now put in first at Leros, the island of Miletus, and from thence, discovering that the Athenians were before the town, sailed into the Iasic Gulf in order to learn how matters stood at Miletus. Meanwhile, Alcibiades came on horseback to Thecheusa, in the Milesian territory, the point of the gulf at which they had put in for the night, and told them of the battle in which he had fought in person by the side of the Milesians and Tissaphernes, and advised them, if they did not wish to sacrifice Ionia and their cause, to fly to the relief of Miletus and hinder its investment. Accordingly, they resolved to relieve it the next morning. Meanwhile, Prynicus, the Athenian commander, had received precise intelligence of the fleet from Leros, and when his colleagues expressed a wish to keep the sea and fight it out, flatly refused either to stay himself, or to let them or any one else do so if he could help it. Where they could hereafter contend, after full and undisturbed preparation, with an exact knowledge of the number of the enemy's fleet, and of the force which they could oppose to him, he would never allow the reproach of disgrace to drive him into a risk that was unreasonable. It was no disgrace for an Athenian fleet to retreat when it suited them. Put it as they would, it would be more disgraceful to be beaten, and to expose the city not only to disgrace, but to the most serious danger. After its late misfortunes, it could hardly be justified in voluntarily taking the offensive. Even with the strongest force, except in a case of absolute necessity. Much less, then, without compulsion, could it rush upon peril of its own seeking. He told them to take up their wounded as quickly as they could, and the troops and stores which they had brought with them, and leaving behind what they had taken from the enemy's country, in order to lighten the ships, to sail off to Samos, and there concentrating all their ships to attack as opportunity served. As he spoke, so he acted. And thus, not now more than afterwards, nor in this alone, but in all that he had to do with, 
did Prenicus show himself a man of sense. In this way, that very evening the Athenians broke up from before Miletus, leaving their victory unfinished, and the Argives, mortified at their disaster, promptly sailed off home from Samos. As soon as it was morning, the Peloponnesians weighed from Tychusa, and put into Miletus after the departure of the Athenians. They stayed one day, and on the next, took with them the Chian vessels originally chased into port with Chalcidius, and resolved to sail back for the tackle which they had put on shore at Tychusa. Upon their arrival, Tissaphernes came to them with his land forces, and induced them to sail to Iasus, which was held by his enemy Amochus. Accordingly, they suddenly attacked and took Iasus, whose inhabitants never imagined that the ships could be other than Athenian. The Syracusians distinguished themselves most in the action. Amorchus, a bastard of Pethusnes and a rebel from the king, was taken alive and handed over to Thysophernes, to carry to the king, if he chose, according to his orders. Iasus was sacked by the army, who found a very great booty there, the place being wealthy from ancient date. The mercenaries serving with Amorchus, the Peloponnesians received and enrolled in their army without doing them any harm, since most of them came from the Peloponnese, and handed over the town to Thysophernes with all the captives, bond or free, at the stipulated price of one Doric starter ahead, after which they returned to Miletus. Pedaritus, son of Leon, who had been sent by the Lacedaemonians to take the command at Chios, they dispatched by land as far as Eritrea, with the mercenaries taken from Amorches, appointing Philip to remain as governor of Miletus. Summer was now over. The winter following, Tissaphernes put Iasus in a state of defence, and passing on to Miletus, distributed a month's pay to all the ships as he had promised at Lacedaemon, at the rate of an attic drachma a day for each man. In future, however, he was resolved not to give more than three obols until he had consulted the king. When, if the king should so order, he would give, he said, the full drachma. However, upon the protest of the Syracusian general Hermocrates, for as Therimenes was not admiral, but only accompanied them in order to hand over the ships to Astyochus, he made little difficulty about the pay. It was agreed that the amount of five ships' pay should be given over and above the three obols a day for each man, to Sophernes paying thirty talents a month for fifty-five ships, and to the rest for as many ships as they had beyond that number, at the same rate. The same winter the Athenians in Samos, having been joined by thirty-five more vessels from home, under Charminus, Strombichides, and Euctimon, called in their squadron at Chios and all the rest, intending to blockade Miletus with their navy, and to send a fleet and army against Chios, drawing lots for the respective services. This intention they carried into effect, Strombichides, Onomocles, and Euctimon sailing against Chios, which fell to their lot, with thirty ships and a part of the thousand heavy infantry who had been to Miletus in transports, while the rest remained masters of the sea, with seventy-four ships at Samos, and advanced upon Miletus. Meanwhile, Astyochus, whom we left at Chios collecting the hostages required in consequence of the conspiracy, stopped upon learning that the fleet with Terimenes had arrived, 
and that the affairs of the League were in a more flourishing condition, and putting out to sea with ten Peloponnesian and as many Chian vessels, after a futile attack upon Telium, coasted on to Clazomenae, and ordered the Athenian party to remove inland to Daphnus, and to join the Peloponnesians, an order in which also joined Tamos, the king's lieutenant in Ionia. This order being disregarded, Astyochus made an attack upon the town, which was unwalled, and having failed to take it, was himself carried off by a strong gale to Phocaea and Cuma, while the rest of the ships put in at the islands adjacent to Clazomenae, Marathusa, Pele, and Dramusa. Here they were detained eight days by the winds, and, plundering and consuming all the property of the Clazomenians they deposited, put the rest on shipboard, and sailed off to Phocaea and Cuma to join Astyochus. While he was there, envoys arrived from the Lesbians who wished to revolt again. With Astyochus they were successful, but the Corinthians and other allies being averse to it by reason of their former failure, he weighed anchor and set sail for Chios, where they eventually arrived from different quarters, the fleet having been scattered by a storm. After this, Pedaritus, whom we left marching along the coast from Miletus, arrived at Eritrea, and thence crossed over with his army to Chios, where he found also about five hundred soldiers, who had been left there by Chalcideus from the five ships with their arms. Meanwhile, some lesbians making offers to revolt, Astyochus urged upon Pedaritus and the Chians that they ought to go with their ships and effect the revolt of Lesbos, and so increase the number of their allies or, if not successful, at all events harm the Athenians. The Chians, however, turned a deaf ear to this, and Pedaritus flatly refused to give up to him the Chian vessels. Upon this, Astyochus took five Corinthian and one Megaran vessel, with another from Hermione, and the ships which had come with him from Laconia, and set sail for Miletus to assume his command as admiral. After telling the Chians with many threats, that he would certainly not come and help them, if they should be in need. At Corycus, in the Eritreid, he brought two for the night, the Athenian armament sailing from Samos against Chios, being only separated from him by a hill, upon the other side of which it brought two, so that neither perceived the other, but a letter arriving in the night from Pedaritus, to say that some liberated Eritrean prisoners had come from Samos to betray Eritrea, Astyochus at once put back to Eritrea, and so just escaped falling in with the Athenians. Here Pedaritus sailed over to join him, and after inquiry into the pretended treachery, finding that the whole story had been made up to procure the escape of the men from Samos, they acquitted them of the charge, and sailed away, Pedaritus to Chios, and Astyochus to Miletus, as he had intended. Meanwhile, the Athenian armament sailing around Corycus, fell in with three Chian men of war off Arginus, and gave immediate chase. A great storm coming on, the Chians with difficulty took refuge in the harbour, the three Athenian vessels most forward in the pursuit being wrecked and thrown up near the city of Chios, and the crews slain or taken prisoners. The rest of the Athenian fleet took refuge in the harbour called Phonicus, under Mount Mimas, and from thence afterwards put into Lesbos and prepared for the work of fortification. The same winter, 
the Lacedaemonian Hippocrates sailed out from Peloponnese with ten Turian ships under the command of Doriesus, son of Diagoras, and two colleagues, one Laconian and one Syracusian vessel, and arrived at Nidus, which had already revolted at the instigation of Thesiphernes. When their arrival was known at Miletus, orders came to them to leave half their squadron to guard Nidus, and with the rest to cruise around Triopium, and seize all the merchantmen arriving from Egypt. Triopium was a promontory of Nidus, and sacred to Apollo. This coming to the knowledge of the Athenians, they sailed from Samos and captured the six ships on watch at Triopium, the crews escaping out of them. After this, the Athenians sailed into Nidus and made an assault upon the town, which was unfortified, and all but took it, and the next day assaulted it again, but with less effect, as the inhabitants had improved their defences during the night, and had been reinforced by the crews escaped from the ships at Triopium. The Athenians now withdrew, after plundering the Nidin territory, sailed back to Samos. About the same time, as Syacus came to the fleet at Miletus, the Peloponnesian camp was still plentifully supplied, being in receipt of sufficient pay, and the soldiers having still in hand the large booty taken from Iasus. The Milesians also showed great ardour for the war. Nevertheless, the Peloponnesians thought the first convention with Thesiphernes, made with Chalcideus, defective, and the more advantageous to him than to them. And consequently, while Thesiphernes was still there, concluded another, which was as follows. The convention of the Lacedaemonians and the allies, with King Darius and the sons of the king, and with Thesiphernes for a treaty and friendship, as follows. 1. Neither the Lacedaemonians nor the allies of the Lacedaemonians shall make war against or otherwise injure any country or cities that belong to King Darius, or did belong to his father or to his ancestors. Neither shall the Lacedaemonians nor the allies of the Lacedaemonians exact tribute from such cities. Neither shall King Darius nor any of the subjects of the king make war against or otherwise injure the Lacedaemonians or their allies. 2. If the Lacedaemonians or their allies should require any assistance from the king, or the king from the Lacedaemonians or their allies, whatever they shall both agree upon, they shall be right in doing. 3. Both shall carry on jointly the war against the Athenians and their allies, and if they make peace, both shall do so jointly. 4. The expense of all troops in the king's country, sent for by the king, shall be borne by the king. 5. If any of the states comprised in the convention with the king attack the king's country, the rest shall stop them and aid the king to the best of their power. And if any in the king's country, or in the countries under the king's rule, attack the country of the Lacedaemonians or their allies, the king shall stop it and help them to the best of his power. After this convention, Therimenes handed over the fleet to Astyochus, sailed off in a small boat, and was lost. The Athenian armament had now crossed over from Lesbos to Chios, and being master by sea and land, began to fortify Delphinium, a place naturally strong on the land side, provided with more than one harbour, and also not far from the city of Chios. Meanwhile, the Chians remained inactive. Already defeated in so many battles, they were now also at discord among themselves. The execution of the party of Tydeus, son of Ion, by Pedaratus upon the charge of Atticism, 
followed by the forcible imposition of an oligarchy upon the rest of the city, having made them suspicious of one another, and they therefore thought neither themselves nor the mercenaries and the pedaritas a match for the enemy. They sent, however, to Miletus to beg Astyochus to assist them, which he refused to do, and was accordingly denounced at Lacedaemon by Pedaritus as a traitor. Such was the state of the Athenian affairs at Chios, while their fleet at Samos kept sailing out against the enemy in Miletus, until they found that he would not accept their challenge, and then retired again to Samos and remained quiet. In the same winter, the twenty-seven ships equipped by the Lacedaemonians for Pharnabazus, through the agency of the Megarian Calagaitas and the Cyzian Timagoras, put out from Peloponnese and sailed for Ionia about the time of the solstice, under the command of Antisthenes a Spartan. With them, the Lacedaemonians also sent eleven Spartans as advisers to Astyochus, Lichus, son of Arcesilus, being among the number. Arriving at Miletus, their orders were to aid in generally superintending the good conduct of the war, to send off the above ships or a greater or less number to the Hellespont to Phanabazus, if they thought proper, appointing Cleatus, son of Rampius, who sailed with them, to the command, and further, if they thought proper, to make Antisthenes admiral, dismissing Astyochus, whom the letters of Pedaritus had caused to be regarded with suspicion. Sailing accordingly from Malia across the open sea, the squadron touched at Milos, and there fell in with ten Athenian ships, three of which they took empty and burned. After this, being afraid that the Athenian vessels escaped from Milos might, as they did in fact, give information of their approach to the Athenians at Samos, they sailed to Crete, and having lengthened their voyage by way of precaution, made land at Kaunas in Asia, from whence, considering themselves in safety, they sent a message to the fleet at Miletus, for a convoy along the coast. Meanwhile the Chians and Pedaritus, undeterred by the backwardness of Astyochus, went on sending messengers pressing him to come with all the fleet to assist them against their besiegers, and not to leave the greatest of all the allied states in Ionia to be shut up by sea and overrun and pillaged by land. There were more slaves at Chios than in any one other city except Lacedaemon, and being also by reason of their numbers punished more rigorously when they offended, most of them, when they saw the Athenian armament firmly established in the island with a fortified position, immediately deserted to the enemy, and through their knowledge of the country did the greatest mischief. The Chians, therefore, urged upon Astyochus that it was his duty to assist them, and while there was still a hope and a possibility of stopping the enemy's progress, while Delphinium was still in process of fortification and unfinished, and before the completion of a higher rampart which was being added to protect the camp and the fleet of the besiegers. Astyochus now saw that the allies also wished it, and prepared to go, in spite of his intention to the contrary, owing to the threat already referred to. In the meantime, news came from Kaunas of the arrival of the twenty-seven ships with the Lacedaemonian commissioners, and Astyochus, postponing everything to the duty of conveying a fleet of that importance, in order to be more able to command the sea, 
and to the safe conduct of the Lacedaemonians sent as spies over his behaviour, at once gave up going to Chios and set sail for Kaunas. As he coasted along, he landed at the Merapid Kos and sacked the city, which was unfortified and had been lately laid in ruins by an earthquake, by far the greatest in living memory, and as the inhabitants had fled to the mountains, overran the country and made booty of all it contained. Letting go, however, the freemen. From Kos, arriving in the night at Nidus, he was constrained by the representations of the Nidians, not to disembark the sailors, but to sail as he was straight against the twenty Athenian vessels, which with Charminus, one of the commanders at Samos, were on watch for the very twenty-seven ships from Peloponnese, which Astyochus was himself sailing to join. The Athenians and Samos, having heard from Milos of their approach, and Charminus being on the lookout of Sime, Chalce, Rhodes, and Lycia, as he now heard that they were at Kaunas. Astyochus accordingly sailed as he was to Sime, before he was heard of, in the hope of catching the enemy somewhere out at sea. Rain, however, and foggy weather encountered him, and caused his ships to straggle and get into disorder in the dark. In the morning his fleet had parted company, and was most of it still straggling round the island, and the left wing only in sight of Charminus and the Athenians, who took it for the squadron which they were watching for from Kaunas, and hastily put out against it, with part only of their twenty vessels, and attacking immediately, sank three vessels, and disabled others, and had the advantage in the action until the main body of the fleet unexpectedly hove into sight, when they were surrounded on every side. Upon this they took to flight, and after losing six ships, with the rest escaped to Tutlusa, or Beat Island, and from thence to Halicarnassus. After this the Peloponnesians put into Cnidus, and, being joined by the twenty-seven ships from Kaunas, sailed all together and set up a trophy at Sime, and then returned to anchor at Cnidus. As soon as the Athenians knew of the sea-fight, they sailed with all the ships at Samos to Sime, and without attacking or being attacked by the fleet at Nidus, took the ship's tackle left at Sime, and touching at Lorimi on the mainland, sailed back to Samos. Meanwhile, the Peloponnesian ships, being now all at Nidus, underwent such repairs as were needed, while the eleven Lacedaemonian commissioners conferred with Thysophernes, who had come to meet them, upon the points which did not satisfy them in the past transactions and upon the best and mutually most advantageous manner of conducting the war in future. The severest critic of the present proceedings was Lichas, who said that neither of the treaties could stand, neither that of Chalcidius, nor that of Theramenes, it being monstrous that the king should at this date pretend to the possession of all the country formerly ruled by himself or by his ancestors, a pretension which implicitly put back under the yoke all the islands, Thessaly, Locris, and everything as far as Boeotia, and made the Lacedaemonians give to the Hellenes, instead of liberty, a median master. He therefore invited Thysophernes to conclude another and a better treaty, as they certainly would not recognize those existing, and did not want any of his pay upon such conditions. This offended Thysophernes so much that he went away in a rage without settling anything. 
This is the end of chapter 24 of the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides, completed by Ian Bartholomew on Christmas Day 2005, Taipei, Taiwan.